times change and things need to change sometimes. But you need to ask yourself, why did this last? What is the value in it? And do we discard it or do we take that piece of value and change it. The fact that I live I'm a, as a first-generation American, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that I see. Yeah, it's a pain in the ass saying hi and bye to every individual <laughs> at a party. What's the value of it, though? Well, the value is that you touch and, and you're in contact with every single person. You might not talk to everybody, but at least you got to say hi and bye to everybody. It creates this sense of family and unity. Welcome to the PATH Podcast. I'm Mike Salemi. I believe that uncharted trails make the best life stories. So take a deep breath, put one foot in front of the other, and trust the ground under your feet. Join me in discussions on health, performance, business, leadership, and spiritual self-mastery because these topics are windows into how well each of us have learned to trust our own path. Let's go. This is a Soul Fire production. Welcome to today's show where I get to sit down with Sal Stefano from the popular podcast, Mind Pump. While Sal has an extensive background in the fitness industry and is an encyclopedia of knowledge on all things training, our conversation today takes a different focus. When I first met Sal over 10 years ago, I quickly learned that one of the many things we have in common is that we're both first-generation Italians. In our time together today, we dive into the traditional roles played in the Italian family and how that's changed over time. How can we blend the old with the new in the family dynamic, the traditional with the modern? This is something that's intrigued me for years, and Sal does a beautiful job in sharing his experience around it, both the beautiful aspects and the challenges that can come with it. Sal shares what's most important to him today as his role as a father, he's about to welcome his fourth child, and how that's evolved and is different since he had his first child as a young man. There's some hilarious stories and moments in this episode, so get ready for a few laughs. I know you're going to learn a lot about relationships, family, Italian traditions, raising kids, and so much more. So let's dive right in. Let's rock and roll while we're starting off. On a high note, we're starting off drinking shots of Lemoncello. Lemoncello. Thanks for bringing that. That was a tasty. So good. Well, Homemade. I, I think many people, I, I imagine, would appreciate the taste, but like you being Sicilian and yeah. like our mutual backgrounds, like I know that you have an appreciation for that. Well, my dad has some in his freezer right now that he brought from Italy from some a friend who made it also homemade. I mean, I love it. It tastes, it's so good. It's one of those drinks, those alcoholic beverages I think everybody likes because it's got that sweetness to it. So it's not like grappa, right? Grappa, you either like it or you don't. <laughs> oh, no. It tastes really good, so. Well, that's the cool thing about whether it's limoncello or you were asking me, like, do my parents or does my family make sauce every year, like yeah. your family or like other things. That's one of the coolest things about, I think, food culture in general, but especially Italy. Mm-hmm. It's these recipes, it's these traditions that are passed down through food. What are some of the other things that your family makes? Well, yeah. So we just made sauce. So usually Labor Day weekend, um, we'll, we'll make sauce at my mom's house. Now we used to do this with the whole, like, I mean, cousins and everybody, but the family got so big. It was like 70 people in a, you know, 1500 square foot house in the garage in the back. It was just too many. So they had to kind of break off a little bit. Right. So cousins, some cousins make it all, you know, Sacramento, these cousins over here make it in this other part of San Jose. So now for us, it's like, it's usually about 15 to, to 25 people. And my dad will pick up usually about six to 700 pounds of tomatoes. Oh. So he goes down uh, like the Salinas area the day before or, or maybe a few days before with his van, buys a bunch of tomatoes, Roma tomatoes. He brings them back. Then they set up the garage and we have the, you know, the big, the big boiling pots. Uh, we have the 
the machine, you put the tomatoes in, you know, we have the, uh, the big barrels in the backyard where you take the tomatoes, you drop them in one barrel, you move into the next, the next, that's how you wash them and you cut them in half, get them all ready and all that. And we all go to our stations. Usually I, I cut the tomatoes. So I'm usually in the back cutting them real fast. And the kids are in there stuffing the tomatoes in the machine. And usually the, the, my, my wife and, you know, my cousin's wives and my mom are in there trying to get the tomatoes into the, you know, to boil them and to cook them and all that stuff. And, um, I love it. It's a great tradition. I didn't, and I don't know, maybe this is similar for you as a kid growing up, you think you take it for granted because it's just what you do. And then maybe you rebel, not rebel in the sense that I didn't like it, but then you kind of get older, like, oh, we're making sauce. I want to hang out with my friends. And then you have kids and you, and you, you start to realize like, ah, this is a really great tradition. And the funny thing is I don't even get a lot of sauce. I don't even eat that much sauce anymore. I mean, we don't make that much pasta in my house. Um, the only time I eat sauce is if I go to my mom's house or one of my aunts or something. So it's not like we make a lot of, we, we eat a lot of sauce. But it's the, it's the annual get-together tradition. It's a lot of work. It's definitely messy. You do it all day, all night. It's hot. But it brings us all together, and it's just it's wonderful. So I'm trying to rack my brain around how I'm going to continue this because my parents are in their 60s, and it's a lot of work. And at some point, somebody's going to have to take it over. And it's probably going to fall on me. I'm the oldest. And I'm trying to think, like, how, do I, how am I going to maintain this because – a lot of us don't eat sauce like we, like we did when we were kids. So I'm trying to think how I'm going to maintain this and how I'm going to keep this going. Well, it's that ritual that gets passed down. And I think one of the coolest things, especially about what you shared and my, my version of my family, like growing up, we lived with my grandparents on both sides for a number of years. And I remember we'd be in the garage and literally the entire wall from side to side were cabinets from floor to ceiling of different jarred and canned stuff. Yeah. Jarred. So basically it was sauce, peppers, uh, olives. I remember just like I'm named after my grandfather on, on my mom's side. Like I just remember as a kid, like what you were saying, like sometimes we take these things for granted. Yes. But I just, those were also some of the fondest memories I had when he was a farmer in Sicily. And so I would just sit down hours and, and, and basically poke holes in the olives for them to be salted and brined. Mm -hmm. And like we, they've got from floor to ceiling, all of this stuff. Actually, funny story. I don't know if you guys did this, but when we were, when they were making like sun-dried tomatoes or like, um, was it strata? Is that what they call it? Uh, I don't know what they call so it. So they spread on the table. Yeah, what, 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 what he would do is he would take off the screen doors, uh, the screens yeah. and he would put those on buckets. And so like all of a sudden there'd be no screens on the house. <laughs> Mosquitoes would be coming in and like, where, where are the screens goes? It's like, no, it's a normal thing. He's drying tomatoes or yes. he's drying other stuff, but really it's a participatory thing. From young to old, no matter who you are, everyone has a station. Everyone has a role. Yeah, the value in the past, part of the value, not the value, but part of the value is we make food because we. this is how we, first off, it's, it's, it was less expensive. You know, they grew up poor in Sicily. Sicily was poor. My parents' generation before, it was, we eat this a lot. It was cost effective. And then, of course, bringing everybody together, working together. The other values are kind of gone now because... To be quite honest, it's probably cheaper to buy tomatoes now and then make it in your blender and whatever. But it's that the value of us coming together is still there. That's why I'm thinking, I've had this discussion with my wife. It's like, how are we going to continue this tradition? Because I know the value of having all the sauce is going to start to drop, but I want to maintain this tradition of us getting together and doing something. Together. And maybe it's just we keep making sauce. Maybe we donate it. Maybe we make it, we donate it to people. But it's, it's a wonderful, wonderful tradition. And having a purpose 
for getting together makes it different than let's just get together and hang out. You know what I mean? We're working together and it's hard work and it's, you're sweating and it's outside and it's hot in the garage. He's got all these, you know, these pots boiling and all this stuff. But it's every year we take these great pictures. We all eat this afterwards. My mom makes big, big pasta with the fresh <laughs> sauce and we have a good time. So I, I you know, I'm, 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 Trying to rack my brain how I got to keep it going, but I got to keep it going. There's no way. In I got, some I way, myself. I love it, whether it's donating or gifts or something. And that's really, I think, one of the things I'm, I'm curious to hear your experience like, because we both, your mom and dad are from Italy, right? Yeah, we're from, both yeah. from Sicily. So same thing, my, my parents too. And, and it's funny, uh, our families know each other, um, right? Different family yeah. events and stuff like that. And I don't remember who the connection was, cousins or whatnot, but... Um, the Sicilian culture is so entrenched in who we are and mm -hmm. how we grew up and the values that we have. What place does the traditions that you grew up with, what place do they have for you today? Growing up, I think I took a lot of it for granted, mainly because I didn't realize what we did was either different or special. In fact, so I grew up with a lot of cousins. So my friends were my cousins. So I had friends at school, but they never came over because my cousins would come over and we'd all hang out. And then as I got older, I had some friends in school and they would come over and they would point things out to me. Like, I remember the first few times I had friends come over, it was probably junior high, maybe eighth grade. And my mom would bring out, you know, the pasta and then they'd eat the pasta and they'd oh, <laughs> that was such a good dinner. Oh, thank you so much. And I'm looking at them like, there's three more things that are going to come out. <laughs> you know, yeah. she made three other things that are coming out. What? Three other things. And I remember being like, oh yeah, like most people, they don't, they don't eat meals this way. Okay, that's interesting. Or when my parents would speak Sicilian or, you know, to my siblings or whatever, sometimes I'd have friends and be like, Is there, should I leave? I'd be like, what do you mean should I leave? They're, they're yelling. Nobody's yelling. That's how we talk. We're really loud. We're a loud family. Then I realized, oh, this is, this is just how we are. Um, dinner was a big one. Like everybody had to be there for dinner. And my dad worked seven days a week for as long as I could remember. He worked blue collar. But he always made dinner. He was always there, not making dinner physically, but made it to dinner. So my mom would cook. He would always there, no matter what. And I remember as I grew up, I kind of took that for granted. Before I had kids, I thought, like, you know, what's the big deal? Eat your food. Then when I had kids, especially with my older kids, so I have two kids that are uh, teenagers, and then I have a, a baby and I have another one on the way. Especially with my teenagers, dinner time is the only time we get to connect. Otherwise, they're in the room with their friends. They don't want to hang out with daddy. When you're 17 years old, I mean, we'll do some stuff, but it's not like when they're five and they want to play with dad all the time. But dinner time is when we all get to sit down and I get to look at my kids in the face, have a conversation. And so cooking the dinner, having the dinner, cleaning up after dinner is very important to me. And that's something I, I got from my family. Now, that's not necessarily, I think, a Sicilian or Italian thing. I think it's, it's, it's uh, present in a lot of cultures. But it, the way I was raised, it was a big deal. As a kid, you never miss dinner. Like you're playing with your friends, you're outside, you come home for dinner. My dad and my parent, my mom made a big deal about it. Now I make a big deal about it too. So I think that's a big one. Um, another one is the, is the, and again, this is present, I think, in other cultures. The respect that you pay, uh, especially people who are older than you especially grandparents or older relatives, aunts and uncles. That's a big deal. Um, you know, my grandfather, when you, you, you make sure you always, well, everybody, you do this too, but especially my grandfather, you say hi to him and you say goodbye to him. You show that respect. If you're sitting in a chair, if I'm sitting in a comfortable chair and one of my older relatives walks in, I offer them the chair because that's the way I was raised. They, they, they get the, the comfortable chair because they're older, especially if they're my grandparents something like that. 
Um, so that was the, the respect one was a, was a really big one. I totally feel you on that. And, you know, uh, I've been with Lauren now for, I think, two and a half years. But this last December? Yeah, last December is when I introduced her in Florida to a lot of my dad's side of the family. And uh, so she got to meet that family. And so it was really cool bringing her into some of those traditions. She'd already made limoncello with us. She'd already uh, earned her stripes in the family by by taking a razor blade to hundreds of lemons. And, and now she's like MVP of the family. <laughs> uh, but one of the interesting things that I realized is just walking her through some of the traditions and and one of which is similar to what you said about when someone enters the room typically especially if it's an elder like you get up and then you you give them a, a kiss. Salute. Yeah, you give them a kiss left and right. Yep. And uh, so you give them a kiss on both sides and it's just every time someone enters or when you leave a party, Everybody. you go around the whole table. Even if it's 50 people, you go to each person, you either give them a kiss or just like, you know, acknowledge them. And I think that acknowledgement and that respect is so important, mm -hmm. especially as a kid. I used to hate when my mom, I remember I used to fight when we would leave Christmas or something like that. And she would be like, did you kiss everyone? Did you kiss everyone? I'm like, mom, yeah. But but now, like I look back, I'm like, wow, thank you for instilling that. It, it, it takes 20 minutes to say goodbye. When you go to <laughs> I mean, it's true. It's like my, my wife, we got to go, you know? And it's like, we got to say bye to everybody. Yeah. You have to say bye to everybody. It's just the way it is. This program is brought to you by Kettlebell Lifestyle, my nine-week follow-along kettlebell movement program for both beginners and intermediate lifters. So much of this program focuses on the concept that I call intentional training. And really what that means to me is looking at the body as a system of systems, looking at the body as a holistic lens. And that means if we're under relationship challenges or we are going through work challenges, that will, if we don't manage it correctly or have strategies to manage our stress, that will certainly show up in our performance in the gym. And that's why, of course, I teach you a very methodical, a very progressive program on how to perform kettlebell lifting, enter it safely, master those movements. We do sexy movements. We do foundational movements. We do it all. But what's most important to me is that not only you're a great kettlebell lifter by the end of this program, but you also have tools and strategies to manage the stress in your life. And that's why I've incorporated lectures, tutorials on things like working in, which is active meditation, why you're going to get a customized, personalized, corrective stretching program to help balance your body. There's lectures from experts like Paul Check, Warren Williams on so many great topics. And so if you're interested in taking a more holistic look at how you train and care for yourself, not just now, but for your lifetime, definitely check out this program. And anybody who subscribes to the PATH podcast, I'm giving $100 off. And all you got to do is use code PATH20 and go to kettlebelllifestyle.com to sign up today. Now let's get back to the show. I think that what comes with a big family with strong culture, there's some... I, I would say it's a, a lot of pros, right? But I think that there's also some challenges, especially for people who don't, who weren't raised in that or don't understand it. Like, for example, when you come, when you come from a big family that's very tight, like mine's very tight, very big. We do a lot of things together. Here's something. I just had this uh, argument with my wife, right? She wanted to throw a Halloween party with, so I have a, uh, my youngest is, he's going to turn two in a, in, a, in a few months. And I ha he has cousins that are right around the same age, like within three, four months of each other. So she wanted to do this Halloween party before Halloween where all the, you know, bring them over. 
and we'll take pictures and we'll dress up the babies. And then she's like, why don't we invite this person over here, even though the kid's a little older because we're friends with them. I'm like, we well, have to invite my sister. Now you have to invite my cousin. <laughs> and we got this thing about it because she's like, I'm not trying to have 20 people over. I said, listen, it's, it's, I know it's, it's hard to understand, but when you invite this person here, you can't invite one sibling and not invite the other. You can't, it's, it's, it, we're very tight like that. And that, I can see how that can be a challenge uh, for some people. The other one is, you know, people know your business and they're not, and they'll ask you about it. And they're going to be very blunt about certain things. Like they have no problem giving you parenting advice. I notice in, in American culture, that's a no-no. Like you don't tell a, someone how to, like what to do with their kids or how to parent them. But in my family, if you're older than the person, especially if you're older than them, it's like my aunt, my uncle, my grandparents, my parents, it's no big deal for them to tell you how to raise your kid, what you need to do or whatever. Um, but that could be very offensive to some people, especially if they don't agree with some of the stuff. Like, you know, telling my, <laughs> telling my mom, and, and my mom is great. Thankfully, I warmed her up, right? Because I've been in the fitness space for a long time and I'm in my 40s now and I have two older kids. But, you know, tell my mom, you know, I know mom, I know you're going to watch Aurelius. Um, I don't want him to have any gluten. I don't want to have any sugar. And dairy kind of affects him a little bit. And you see them, you know, my mom's like, what am I going to feed him? <laughs> those are all the things I want, to, I want to give him. So, you know, th there's some challenges in some of that stuff. But, um, but I, you know, it, it comes with the territory. Like, I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. Well, how do you, what's your internal filtering process? How do you decide and choose? what you're going to keep, not just in traditions, but in mentality. Mm. Like, how do you choose what you're going to keep and also where you're going to choose something different for you or for your family? Boy, that's a, that's a tough one. Um, you know, I'm trying to think of some good examples. I think the traditional roles in the house, I, I'll, I'll challenge quite a bit, only because um, times are different now. And it worked for a long time. And maybe, maybe it can, I mean, I think it can still work now for people, but I think times are a bit different. For example, we had very traditional household, right? My dad worked, my mom didn't, or she worked part-time. She did all the household stuff. My dad did all the stuff in the, in the backyard or with the cars, for example. Um, he didn't wash dishes. He didn't do any of that stuff, do laundry, didn't change diapers. He played with the kids. That's what he would do. So those types of role, those types of things I'll challenge quite a bit. But the part of it that I could see the value in is in the division of labor. Mm. So whatever that means, I could see a lot of value in the division of labor. And I can see value. This is something that I saw from my parents is they respected each other's roles. So it wasn't like my dad would talk down to my mom or my mom talked down to my dad or whatever. There was a lot of respect for it. It was a lot of respect. Like, you know, if my mom went outside and she saw dog poop and she goes to pick it up and my dad sees it. He goes, I said, what are you doing? That's let me do that. That's what I'm supposed to do. So they would respect that. And my mom would say things like your father does a great job taking care of these things and you know, respect your dad. And my mom would say that my dad would say that about my mom. So the division of labor and the pride and respect for the things that you do and how you work together. I think that's very important. Uh, I think running a household is a lot like running a business. I think if everybody tries to do everything, nobody does anything. So I think it's very, I think like running a business, you have your advertising person, you have your, you know, your, maybe your front person, you have the person in the back that handles the, the merchandise. It wouldn't work if everybody showed up and they're like, well, I, today I want to do a little of this and you do a little of that and we do all do it. It doesn't, doesn't work that way. So I think the division of labor makes a lot of sense still and you can organize that however you want. And then the respect factor, 
that um, we're all working together, you know, to build, uh, you know, this, this family, to get this family to move forward and have, you know, kids that are raised with good morals. You know, an, another thing that I, I was raised with that I'm a little different on, but I can see some of the value in, and I'm, I'm sure there's some people are going to be like, huh. you know, the, the, when it came to going out, um, you know, with friends or dating or whatever, the boys were given a little bit more leniency than the girls. Now, this is a kind of a cultural thing. Um, and, and a lot of cultures are like this if you go back a few generations. But I could see some of the, um, maybe some of the value in it because when it comes to safety, you know, girls are more, are, are just a higher risk. That's just the bottom line. Um, I remember once having an employee that worked for me, female employee, and she talked about how she hated, she got upset because a guy gave her kind of a, like a compliment in the gym about her appearance. And I told her, I said, well, what's the big deal? If a girl complimented me, I'd be, I think it was cool. And she goes, yeah, but if she wanted to have her way with you, she wouldn't be able to. I said, oh, I said, there's always that threat, that potential threat. She said, imagine if it was a big giant that said, hey, you look really handsome today. You know, you might feel a little bit of a threat. So there's always that, a little bit of that risk. So, and I think that's just being honest. So, you know, I have, like I said, I have a son and a daughter and I communicate that to them. And I tell my daughter, I say, look, I say, she's only 13, so she's younger than her brother. Uh, but I say, listen, f- for you, we have to, you have to be a little bit more careful than your brother because you're, you're just, you may be targeted more and there may be more danger for you. So it may seem unfair, but that's because the way the world is and we need to be careful about that kind of stuff. So there's a lot of, I think with some of these old traditions and cultures, there's some, what's the saying? Like before you tear a fence down, you got to understand why it was up in the first place. Huh. So I think a lot of times people try to tear down and rewrite traditions and culture because they think it's old fashioned, it's outdated, there's no value. But I think before you remodel something, you got to kind of understand why, why did that exist in the first place? Like the sauce making, like, okay, yeah, they did it because they were poor and they had to make sauce, but that's not all the value. There's a tremendous amount of value and everybody gets together once a year towards this common goal. Um, so before we get rid of it, cause we don't need a lot of sauce, like let's figure this out. And, oh, okay, this, this makes a lot of sense. Let's keep this going. You know? Yeah. Especially if you're clear on your values as a family and really getting clear on how you want to parent and really seeing, I think there's more commonalities between, especially now being more mature and older, there's more commonalities between the values of our parents and grandparents than not. Yeah. And one of the things I'm curious about is like you had shared your, your dad works seven days a week and my dad worked insane. And I think too, like there's this immigrant story as well. That's very common, whether you're Italian or not, or, or anything it's to provide a better life. And with that, oftentimes it's coming with nothing and starting from scratch. And to get off the ground, you have to put in reps, you have to put in work. And I'm curious for better or for worse pros and cons, how have you seen and experienced maybe your father's mentality around work or money? And how does that influence for better or for worse, how you view work and money? Well, so, um, you know, I overdid it. So I, so I've been, so, uh, I'm married now. This is my second time being married. So I was married before and 15 years we got divorced and there was a lot of challenges and issues there. But one of them was, I thought that was my value. I work. So I work and I work hard and I work long. And I, I wasn't, I didn't participate enough in the family. I didn't participate enough with my kids. Mm. And, and that, 
along with some other stuff, you know, place a strain on the relationship. And looking back, I can be quite honest about that. So I definitely have my dad's work ethic, but also I'm fortunate enough to, to, you know, he came here with no education. My, my dad left school when he was nine. His family was poor. He had to work from nine years old. He came to this country with nothing and he had to work like that to be able to support four kids in, you know, middle class here in, in, in San Jose in those days. I'm lucky that I've now built a business where I don't have to work like that anymore. So I, so now work for me, it's important and I'll always take pride in it. And, I, and if I need to, I can turn up the dial. It's, I have that gear, but I place a lot of value now in spending time with the family. You know what I learned too, through, through getting divorced with that was because I got divorced, I had to, cause I, I have dual custody, right? So my older kids are with me half the time and then half the time with their mom. And when they were with me, I had to play both roles, mom and dad. So now I had to do school schedule, lunches, breakfast, laundry, you know, like, ah, oh, like, I don't, I don't know what to do. And it was really intimidating and um, super overwhelming. However, as I did it, I started realizing this is how you build a relationship with your kids. It's not just the vacations and the play with them sometimes. It's like the everyday stuff. So now I see different value. Now, I love changing my son's diaper, my youngest, and feeding him and making food with him because it's not just a duty. It's like, oh, this is how, this is how I build a relationship you know, with my boy. That intentionality, I think, is huge. And actually, one of my friends had shared with me something that I still remember. It was, it was on a different discussion, but I took it back with a trip that Lauren and I were going on. And he was sharing about how like the time in the car on a drive, especially on a long drive, it's probably one of the most precious times <laughs> that you can spend with someone, right? You have uninterrupted, you are in the car outside for away from the outside world. So why not have that time be something sacred? Why not have that time be a true moment of connection? And it shifted so much because usually when I, I like from it from childhood, like I sleep everywhere. Like there's oh. like there's stories of like Holy shit, same here. That's so weird. <laughs> Dude, I was my mom has stories like brothers baseball games or she was getting her nails done or going to the mall and I'm just passed out the whole time. So I love sleeping. I can sleep anywhere, anytime still. Wow, that's so weird. Same here. That's so strange, Mike. <laughs> well, I'm in the car. And so that's like my, you know, it's nice and warm. Yeah, it's comfortable. If I'm in the passenger seat. So when she would be driving it for switching off on a long drive, as soon as I'm in the passenger seat, I'll <laughs> lay him back. See ya. And she, you know, she would, you know, she would want to connect. And she's like, well, stay up with me. I'm like, wait, but you don't understand. Like, this is my time to sleep. <laughs> and when I heard this from my buddy, Angelo, I was like, Wow. I'm missing out on a huge opportunity to connect with her. So I love what you were saying of the the tasks that we tend to look past, whether it's yeah. laundry or making something to incorporate yeah. our children, our friends or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Here's another. So this one just came to mind. So when I was a kid, when it came to the household stuff, my mom did it all right. And she did it all. I mean, she's like the stereotype of the Italian mom that like, I mean, cook, clean, everything was spotless all the time, everything, whatever. <laughs> And I didn't do nothing. So, so I was the, like, this is like, you're talking about, again, stereotype of the, the mama's boy, right? Yeah, I, did, yeah, yeah. I didn't make my bed, okay? My mom made my bed. She cleaned my room. I did nothing. Up until I moved out when I was, you know, my, my, I think I was 21 when I moved out. <laughs> I didn't even know how to do laundry, Mike. Swear to God. Yeah. So, so, I, so she did everything. And what she would do to spend time with us, she would do all the stuff and then she'd try to spend some time with us. Well, this was my wife's influence and it was totally brilliant. I'm watching my, my youngest and I'm like, you know what? Let me get, let me, let me finish doing this real quick so I can go play with them. 
and he's trying to get my attention. I'm like, buddy, go over there, go play over there. Here's some blocks. Papa's going to be done soon so I can come play. And she goes, Sal, she goes, have him help you. That's how you play with him. And I said, holy shit, that's absolutely right. So now what do I do? When I do the huh. dishes, he's only, he's, he's almost two. So how much is he going to help me? Not a ton. <laughs> but, and it takes a long time, but it's the same amount of time it would take me to do the dishes as fast as I can and then play with them. So now we do, they, that's what we do. So I, oh, buddy, can you put this fork in the dishwasher? And he walks over and you know, meanwhile, I'm doing this one over here. Put the spoon in the thing and he puts it over there. And it's like, it takes two hours, but it's like the best hangout playtime. And he's learning. And here's something that, you know, sorry, mom, this was, this was not a great thing necessarily. I knew how to do nothing in the house. So now my son's going to know how to do, <laughs> he's going to know how to do basic things for himself. I, I moved out, Mike, this is a true story. I moved out when I was 21 because I bought a partnership in a country club down in Palm, the Palm Spring area. And by the way, the only way, the only reason, the only way I could have moved out was if I did something like that. And my mom still cried every day. But anyway, I moved down. Something extreme or oh, something yeah. big. Yeah. You don't move out unless you're married. <laughs> yeah. So I moved out and I went down, I got an apartment and I was owner, part owner of this gym. And I didn't know how to use the dishwasher. I didn't know how to wash my clothes. So I remember I went to the, to the grocery store and I'm trying to buy soap and what I got to do. So I did the dishes first night and I poured the liquid dishwasher, the liquid soap in the dishwasher, close the thing, turn it on, sit down, proud of myself. I did the dishes, watching TV, suds, start filling the room. <laughs> like what? I call my mom, mom, what's going on? She goes, what soap did you put? And I said, what do you use to wash the dishes? She goes, the one you wash by hand or is it the dishwasher soap? I said, there's a difference? She says, yes. Like, oh, crap. So that was the first day. After a few days, I was going to go do my laundry. I went down to the area with the, you know, washer and dryer, my clothes. And I have, you know, powder soap, liquid soap. I have just five different detergents. I, got, I don't know what to do because I bought everything. And I'm sitting there, I'm looking at it. I'm like, do I put the, which ones do I separate? So thankfully, this woman comes in, starts doing her laundry. I said, listen, I'm really embarrassed. I don't know how to use this. I don't know how to use this machine. Can you please teach me? So she showed me how to do, how to do my laundry. So, so my son's going to know how to do all that stuff because <laughs> we play that way. So that's a different, that's something that's different. I wasn't allowed to touch any of that stuff. He's going to do all that stuff. I love that. I love that. And I love that you guys are doing it together. Like that's, that's such a special connection. Oh, you should see, we will make eggs in the morning. So every morning, uh, on the weekends, it's because during the week I leave too early, but on Saturday and Sunday, we wake up and my son eats uh, two or three egg yolks every morning, right? It's good for his brain, you know, the whole deal, right? So, but what I do is I wake him up, we go downstairs, change his diaper. I say, all right, you ready to make breakfast? And he goes, yeah. And he, and he, does, that, he does the sign for making the eggs or whatever. So we go in the fridge and he takes out the eggs for me. So I hold him, I hold him like this. I say, grab the eggs you want. And he grabs them, put them on a, you know, put them in the pan, bring them over by the sink. He sits down, he takes an egg, he taps it on the pan, hands it to me. I crack it, pour them in there. Then he goes, oil, oil. So yeah, we put olive oil, puts a little olive oil, gets the salt. And then he stirs it like three, four times. Then he stands by me while I do the whole thing or whatever. And it's this thing that we do every morning and he's learning how to cook for himself. And, you know, it's, it's a good, you know, 15, 20 minutes of play between him and I. So that, that was I a, love that, that, that a, perspective of like, you could either play with him for, you know, you could either make breakfast by yourself, maybe a little faster, five minutes faster, 10 minutes mm -hmm. faster, and then play with him for an hour. But when you combine both, it's just like, you achieve so many things and, and more than more, the most, I think the most important thing, and I'm not even a father yet, or the, well, I am a father, but baby's going to come in five months yeah. or so. 
But I really do believe whether it's with my son or, or in any relationship, it's presence. It's that is yeah. what we're all craving for is undivided presence, especially as a child. And I'll always say like, yes, it's what we say. But when I think about not just my parents, but in relationships in general, it's what we observe and what we feel yeah. when we're around people. And so whether he or she can cognitively understand a remotely a fifth of what you're saying, the fact that you are close in proximity and you have that like you're spending that close time together, that is what is felt through osmosis. That is what's get transferred. You hit the nail on the head, Mike. Uh, you know, I, I, as an older father, I really get that now. You know, kids, babies understand a lot more than we give them credit. They, they first off, they, they may not be able to conceptualize it, but they feel energy. They're, they're supposed to. They're wired to. They're wired to read mom and dad and energy in the room and what's going on. And if you really pay attention, you can see their behavior and how they change their behavior. How if mom and dad are getting a little stern with each other, how the kid starts to try to be funny or tries to get your attention or tries to hug mom or whatever. You pay attention. They can read energy. One thing that we did with, uh, with my son is we, we taught him sign language or signs because they can, they can um, before they have the motor skills to, to be able to enunciate words, they can do basic signs. So it got my son to communicate way before he could have the words. So nine months, he's communicating more and food and, you know, water and all this stuff. And you realize, holy cow, this kid wants to talk to us and communicate with us. He just can't use his mouth the right way to use the words. So that was a, that was a big thing. So now, now he's, he knows signs and, you know, he speaks, you know, he uses words. It's pretty cool. Pretty, pretty cool. Well, I think it's so cool because, and please share your experience of this, but like understandably so when when, when, for example, Lauren has the baby inside for nine months-ish, and then for the first at least six months, it's only about mom, right? She has to, it's breastfeeding yeah. and stuff like that. And I'm really figuring out and finding what is going to be not only my role in that to, of course, support Lauren and do whatever I can cook, but I genuinely want to see how I can develop a relationship. And one of the things that I'm I'm doing is I'm learning, or will be learning very soon, some baby massage and like infant development, I've taken infant development work through Paul, but it's more been to look at uh, movement dysfunctions in the adult and that sort of stuff. This is actually learning uh, infant development from the perspective of like how to communicate through movement yeah. and games and stuff like that, even before where the baby, to understand the communication that is not being shared with words. So that's something I'm really excited about. Yeah, you know, when you look at the research on this, um, the father plays a tremendous role in the development of a baby. Well, first off, it's the day-to-day -day stuff that's most important. So one mistake I think I made as, an, as a younger father that I realized later on is I would put a lot of effort into like things, like we're going to go on a trip or we're going to go hiking or we're going to do this thing together so we can hang out and spend time together. And really it's, it's the 15 minutes every day that you see them in the morning or picking up from school every day or dinner every night. You add up that time and that time is far more time than the time you do vacations or the hiking or that kind of stuff. So it's the day-to-day -day stuff. So when you think of a baby changing diapers, getting them out of their pajamas, um, you know, uh, helping to put them to sleep, which you're going to have to do several times a day, every day. So that's the big ones. And then the other one, and we had, um, and it'll come to me in a second. We had an expert come on and talk about this. This is pretty amazing. If you look at the research on play, 
fathers play very distinctively differently than mothers do with babies and children. We tend to play roughhouse, the stereotypical yeah. stuff. <laughs> tend to roughhouse, a little rougher. Very important because it teaches the child how to play and the difference between play and being too aggressive or violent. So in other words, like you play with your son, he knows if he hits you too hard, hey, son, don't do that or we're, not gonna, we're gonna stop playing. So he learns the difference between roughhousing and fighting. Kind of like look, a dog. Yes. Right? Yes, very similar. Like boundary. Like- yeah, so you'll notice like little boys that didn't play roughhouse with, with male role models, they don't play, they don't roughhouse very well as they grow up. They get offended or if a kid pushes them, like, oh. Whereas other kids are like, oh, this is fun. Let's have a good time. So it teaches them that, teaches them those boundaries. And then with girls, it teaches them that, um, that there are safe ways a man can touch them. So like, oh, my dad's playing with me. He's hugging me. He's wrestling with me. This is safe. I know what that feels like versus this doesn't feel safe. This kind of touch doesn't feel right. So it teaches girls to have that security as well. And they connect dad play uh, to child development very strongly, like how important it is. So that's, you know, that's another big one. And then the security factor. This, is, this one's just, I think, a male thing, but I don't remember who I, I heard talking. It was, this, um, it was this lawyer that represents fathers in court. Uh, and the reason why she does that is because oftentimes dads, when they're fighting for custody or they're fight whatever, and they want to see their kids, that they, they often, the mom will win. Sure. You know, most of it or whatever, because of the way we view mothers and fathers. And she said that one of the things they would do in court that was very unfair is they would say, okay, dad, you, you, you know, you want to be important. Tell us the name, the names of your, of your kids' teachers. And the dad would be like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. What's, what's your doctor? What's the kid's doctor's name? Uh, I don't know. And she goes, that was unfair. She goes, so then she would go to defend them and she'd say, what is your kid scared of? And dad would know right away. Wow. Right away. And that's because oftentimes the dad plays that role where we're secure. We're the secure. We're the ones that keep them safe. So like my, you know, my, my, when my kids are scared at night when they were, when they were younger, dad's in there. And I, you know, you know, I of course entertain them. You know, my daughter, <laughs> oh, I'm scared. I open the closet. I'll beat him up, you know, word. And she'd laugh and she'd feel so, you know, so safe or whatever. So, I mean, that I think is, uh, is another important role that dads provide is that safety, that security, um, that then they don't have to seek, you know, elsewhere. I love that, man. Hands down, one of the most enjoyable things that I get to do today is to support men, both individually and especially creating containers where men can come together in community to connect, to heal, and to grow. Now, so many guys in my experience are struggling with things like lacking purpose, lacking close connection with other men, this unhealthy competitiveness, isolation, feeling like we got to do it all and there's so much more to it. And today I'm so excited because if you're a man and you've been struggling with anything that I just shared, I'm opening up one-on-one coaching opportunities as well as mentorship. And so once again, if you're a guy looking to gain back your health, gain clarity in life, receive support in a way that really guides you to uncover the truth that is already within you. Let's do it. I would love to have a conversation. All you got to do is go to the website, www.mikesalemi.io slash coaching. You can fill out a form to hop on a call with me. And I would love to see what's going on in your life, what's alive in you, and what do you really want to create for yourself, for your family, and for your community moving forward. Now let's get back to the show. One thing that comes up that I want to take a, a step back to is when we were talking about 
just family. I'm really curious, like, and when we when I was recording here with with Adam recently, like, it's just so cool to see how you guys have grown. The studio mm. space is fucking. I'm so happy and proud for you guys. Appreciate like, it. Thank you. Super stoked. And one of the things that I mean, you guys podcast five days a week. You guys all have incredible communication skills. I'm really curious. Can you share like what was it like as you were having the podcast and sharing? what was it like with your family? Mm. Like, how have you learned or or not learned? I don't know, but to be sensitive, but also still speak in a way that's true for you. Well, I think because I have, so I'll take a step back. I, um, and I, this, you ask my, my parents this or anybody who knows me and my family, I, they say I have a big mouth. So my grandma used to say, lingua longa, the long tongue, like he <laughs> talks all the time, right? So um, it's hard for me not to express my opinion and how I feel. And I tend to be very honest with those things. So I think my family knows that about me. I have a good relationship with my family and I have a lot of respect, tremendous amount of respect for my family. So when I talk about them on the show, what you hear is genuine. So I, I don't have to censor anything because it's genuine. It genuinely, now I've had a few you know, times my mom has heard me talk about, you know, when I was a kid and she'd get the wooden spoon and, or she'd throw a shoe at us or something like that. And she gets upset. I'm like, ma, that's just, that's how it was, you know? You had four kids. And so that sometimes, but, um, and, you know, on the show, sometimes we can go off a little bit, especially early days. The show was very raw. <laughs> um, but my family's very supportive. As, as traditional as they are, the love they have for, for each other supersedes any of that. It, it, it supersedes. I'll give you an example. My grandfather, so his generation, not even my parents' generation, my grandfather turned 91. So his generation, he's, he grew up with nine, there was nine siblings. I think six boys, if I'm not mistaken. His brother uh, came out of the closet years ago, years ago. Now, in that, back then, in that generation, I don't care what culture you're from, you didn't, you didn't tell people that, you didn't, yeah, that was very hard, okay? Now, especially our culture, Catholic background, all that stuff. So he came out. To the family, year decades ago, he did this decades ago. So I wasn't even—I don't even know if I was born uh, when he came out to the family. And you know, they love him. They love him so much. It's like the culture says whatever, and I'm supposed to whatever. But you're my brother. You're my uncle. We love you. He's been with the same partner now for I don't know thirty years, and nobody gives a shit because uh, the, the the love of the family supersedes all that stuff. So when I would talk about things on the show, like smoking weed or cuss or we talk about sex and stuff, the stuff that I would never say to my mom or if my mom was in the room <laughs> sure. or anybody in my family for that matter, except for maybe my cousins, they would hear that and they would make comments like, oh, I can't believe some of the stuff you say. Man. I'm so proud of you, you know, or, oh, you know, but that part where you really help people with the fitness, I like that part the most, you know, they'll do those kinds of comments. So there, there was some of this stuff, but they, they support me. They love me so much. They know that I'm honest. I work hard. So, I mean, I could do anything, I think. Um, and they would be behind it. I think that's huge, man. Because at the end of the day, it goes back to truly just love. Like, yes, it, well, one of the things that I've experienced, and this happens in many cultures, but is a um, maybe an overly caring of what other people will think. Mm. And so what I find oftentimes is like, it's when, when and this doesn't, again, just apply to, to this situation, but when we're up in our head, then we are thinking about mm. others and we're putting expectations and stuff. But when we're actually grounded in our heart and we remember actually what's important. And at the end of the day, oftentimes people do come around 
and they remember like, shit, we love Sal. Like yeah. he's doing great things. He's genuinely sharing. Maybe in a way, and the part, I mean, what you guys do is education mixed with entertainment. Yeah. And that's, I think, where where sometimes, and this, there's cultures, right? There's there's generations and there's going to be no matter what, there's going to be difference of opinions. There's going to be different ways of viewing things, which is also the beauty in it. You should see my, you know, it's funny. So my grandfather, so he's 91, right? So he knows I have a, I have a podcast and a media business. And so it was like a few years ago, you know, he's like, so, so what do you do? <laughs> so I'm like, why? Well, you know, I, I, I talk on a show. I said, no, no, it's like a radio show. Oh, how much they, how do they pay you? How much they pay you? I said, no, no, it's free. How do you make money? So I try to explain to him whatever. Anyway, so that's kind of what he knew. One day he was at my aunt's house. So he, he was staying with my aunt, my, my grandparents now live with my, either my aunt or my mom. They go back and forth. So he's over there and my aunt, puts, because now, because you can stream YouTube on the big screen, right? On the TV. So she puts YouTube on and puts Mind Pump on. Now my grandfather saw me on TV. Oh, geez. Which is different than if you show him on the phone for whatever reason. It's You're a different famous. generation. You're famous. Oh my God. He, will not, he won't stop about it. He calls me up. So I'm, a daughter. I'm so proud. I don't know about your family, but the men in my family only cry <laughs> when one of their grandkids or kids does something great. The men will cry for anything else. But if it has to do with like joy for the kids, everybody all of a sudden becomes a big baby. My grandfather, oh, I'm so proud of you. I can hear him. He's on the phone crying. I'm like, no, no, what do you mean? Oh, you're famous. What? I saw you on the TV. I said, oh, she probably put me on the YouTube, <laughs> on the television, you know, do all that. So, you know, something you said too, about the worrying about what other people think, I, that's definitely, can, that definitely can be a cultural thing. Like, you know, but I can also see where there's, there was some value in that. I could see where it can go wrong, where you care too much about what people think. Um, for sure. And I've, I've seen that, you know, firsthand how that can go wrong, but I can also see where there's a little bit of value in that because sometimes those pressures, call them what you will, societal pressures, cultural pressures, family pressures, keeps people doing the right thing from not making mistakes that they think maybe are not mistakes right now, but then they get older and go, Oh boy, I'm glad I didn't do that thing that, you know, I was maybe I was going to do, but I didn't do it because I don't want my, you know, my grandparents or my parents to be upset. Now I look back, I'm like, I'm glad I didn't do that. You know, it's so funny. Uh, and this is kind of an extreme case, but it really happened. So I was teaching in Kuwait. And when I was teaching in Kuwait, which was an incredible experience, because when I was teaching, you had people in full garb. Oh, yeah. And then also people not. And there was also they had asked me if it would be okay if women could come attend the courses that I was teaching. I'm like, yeah, of course. But I didn't even stop to think that culturally, like there's so much difference. But all that to say is, uh, it was awesome experience. But I remember I was walking down the street and it actually was in, the, in a mall. And I was telling my contact there, this guy named Faisal. And I was like, man, it feels so safe slash calm here. Like, what am I feeling? Like there was something in the energy of the space. And he, and he basically was sharing. He's like, well, if anybody stole, whether it was in the mall or outside or did anything like that, you would have a huddle of people literally beating the shit out of them. <laughs> and like culturally, like there's certain things that you just don't do, whether it's because you don't want to be seen a certain way to yeah. family, but there's certain accepted norms that like it does help keep people in check. Yeah. 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 I think you should, you, you should look at those things, examine them and ask yourself, why does this exist? Mm -hmm. Because look, it's like evolution, right? So if you look at evolution on, on a biological sense, how does it work? Um, Things that don't work tend to get pruned off. Things that work tend to pr get promoted. So if you see an organism 
Like, for example, humans, you know, walk on two legs. Well, it's because it was evolutionarily advantageous for us. So there's a reason why we walk on two legs. So we could use our hands and build tools and whatever, right? So when you see a culture or a, a, a practice that's been around for thousands of years, it passed the tests of cultural evolution or idea evolution. So what you need to do is look at it and times change and things need to change sometimes. So I'm not against that at all. I'm very open-minded with that. But you need to ask yourself, why? Why did this last? What is the value in it? And do we discard it? Or do we take that piece of value and change it into this you know, other thing? And I think that's real important. That's, that I, the, the fact that I live I'm a, as a first-generation American from an you know, old culture, there's a lot of that kind of stuff that I see. Like, yeah, it's a pain in the ass. Uh, saying hi and bye to every individual <laughs> at a party. Okay, I get that. What's the value of it, though? Well, the value is that you touch and, and you're in contact with every single person at the party. Because you go to a party with 50 people, you might not talk to everybody. But at least you got to say hi and bye to everybody. It also makes, it creates this sense of family and unity. And it shows respect. You know, my family, two people, if they don't like each other, they get in an argument or whatever. If they go to the same party, they'll say, say hi and bye to each other. Like not saying hi and bye to each other is a big exclamation point. Like I hate this person. And nine out of 10 times, they're not going to go that far. So it forces that contact, that whatever, we're family, whether it's conscious or subconscious. I love that. And one of the things I think it's like, if you can get to the heart or the essence of what the ritual or the practice was, then you can distill that down and make it your own. So like, for example, when I was working for my family business and, and growing up, I would drink a lot of wine with my dad. You know, like <laughs> I lived in Italy. We, you know, that was one of the funnest things we would do together. And we would bond over meals and stuff. But then, especially when I was coming back from Italy, when I was competing and stuff, like it was just not something, one, I was cutting weight at times. It was just not in alignment with my values. And I, and I found it uh, challenging in the family, especially like we would go to business dinners and we would have, you, you say know, no to wine. just yeah. say no to wine or no to me. It's just like, it's I, I, Mikey's being the difficult one, or at least that's what I, I had experienced. But what I realized was it may like, it was less about the wine and it was more about something that me and my dad shared to connect with each other. And then once I realized that, I remember asking him and I was like, maybe, can we go for a hike? Like, could we do, can we do something that in, in my heart, I knew like, what is he really striving for? And that's to connect with me. Yes. And that was the one thing. So if we can at least understand and be curious and ask why these things and really get to the heart of what is the essence for why it's being done. And then we can recreate it potentially in a new way. And that's really how I feel we can both honor the past, but also still bring it into this generation. So like you said, with the sauce, maybe it's not sauce. Or maybe it's something else, but the idea of getting together, of sharing, being close proximity, everyone having their station. And working. And working. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's an important part of it. Because mm -hmm. I thought to myself, what if we just throw a party every year? It's not the same thing. Mm. It's not the same thing as like, we got to work. We're showing up in our old clothes because we're going to get sauce on ourselves and dirt. And I got to spray, I got to use a hose to wash things. And that's part of the value. You know, uh, uh, one that for sure I'll continue is the, is the, our culture and it's funny, I was watching a, a show on Netflix. There's a series on Netflix about pizza. I don't know if you've seen it, but they go to the different parts of the world where there's different uh, chefs that make pizza that are, you know, have revolutionized the industry or they make a pizza that's really famous. So the first one I click on, of course, is the one that's in Italy because they go to different parts of the country 
I'm like, where's the one that goes to Italy? So I clicked on it. And there was a guy in there. I don't remember his name, but they called him the Michelangelo of pizza. Okay, so <laughs> I'm watching it. And as he's talking, and I know you know this about Italians, when they talk about food or wine or clothes or cars or soccer, okay, those are the, the categories. But let's talk about food for a second. When they talk about food, it's like to an outsider, it's like, it's like you're talking about, what are you talking about? A religion? Like, you, like it's almost pretentious. As I'm watching this, my wife is like, this guy's going on and on about making pizza. This is ridiculous. He's so pretentious. I'm like, honey, you don't understand. In my culture, food is treated like it's such a special thing. Like this guy talks about the tomatoes and the olive oil. And he's so passionate because he closes his eyes and he's doing this. He got famous and was on TV making pizzas. And they left TV because it took him away from his passion, which is just making pizza and being a chef. And she's like, this is crazy. I said, this is why the culture produces the food that it produces. <laughs> That's it. But also, um, I, I think there's a lot of value in that. And, and it's, this is directly to my field, which is health and fitness. We have devalued food. Mm. Food, has, food now is about the, the, the hedonistic value. Now, Italians enjoy the hedonistic value of food, but it's not the same. You go to a traditional Italian restaurant or you go over someone's house who's Italian who cooks you food. It's not about eating the food and getting out. It takes you a long time. You sit down at an Italian restaurant in Italy and they take their time bringing you the, the, each course and you eat and then you sit and you talk and whatever. Maybe some people go outside and smoke a cigarette, hang out, or you have a little bit of maybe something in between and then they bring the next course. They don't bring you the bill till you ask for it. Over here, they bring you the bill with the food because here it's about eat and go. Over there, it's about the experience, right? In our culture, it's about the experience. You eat over someone's house and yes, we're known for eating all this food and eating a lot of food, but it's not about eating a lot of food, is it? It's about experiencing all the food. It's not about gorging yourself until you can't breathe anymore. It's about experiencing the flavors and commenting on it and sharing. And oh, here comes the, oh, here's the ravioli. Oh my gosh, I love this so much. Or where'd you get the cheese? Oh, this cheese I got from wherever. And you're eating it. All oh, these pistachios are so good. It's just, it's about this experience, cooking the food, you know, growing the food, uh, raising the food. You know, my, you know, I have family members in Italy that will raise pigs and they, they treat the pigs like they're like better than their own kids. I mean, the way they raise them, <laughs> the way that they feed them and they play with them. Why do you treat them this way? Makes the best meat. You know, <laughs> when we slaughter the pig, it makes the best, you know, food or whatever. That I definitely uh, can appreciate, you know, cooking together and appreciating the food and slowing down and tasting it versus this. And I think the, the respect, respecting food, part of that contributes to having a healthy relationship with food. Part of that is anti-obesity. Not saying that it can't be a part of obesity, but I think when you respect food that way, I think you're less likely to abuse it. It's like we've, we've divorced the process of growing, raising, and experiencing food from just eating the tasting part. We've divorced those two or those things. I could not, could not agree more. It's, it's less transactional. Like today, it's very transactional with what we eat. And when we think about, like what I love what you said, like there's a story behind everything. Like even when I was living in Italy and my dad would come visit and I'd take him to my spots and he'd be like, let's just go get a panino. Let's go get, you know, a sandwich. I'm like, no, 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 no. We got to go to my bread guy. Then yeah. we got to go to my cheese guy. Then we go to the guy to get mortadello, prosciutto. Then we go to this. He's like, when are we going to eat? And I said, no, 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 I got to take you to my spots because there's a story and there's a relationship with the people. And I think that is, brings us closer to the food that we eat. And one of the things that's been so impactful for me 
And it's similar to what you shared is now I started hunting. And I never grew up hunting or anything like that, but I've started going at least once or twice a year. And even in the retreats that I run, like we bring some of the food now that I've hunted and it's just so different. The amount of food that I eat is less and is way more intentional. The consumption is different. The reverence, and I think that same respect that we were talking about for family, you can take it into food, you can take it into the training room. And like now so much of the training that I do, I would just say is like, proactive maintenance mm. with the occasional let's push it and let's 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 mm. get some growth but it's really now like respecting my body respecting my food so there's this common thread that carries through all of it 100% i think you're less likely i would say you're probably less likely to binge or eat mindlessly when you sat there and prepared and made the food and 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 you're sharing it with the people around you if you look at dysfunctional eating it often happens alone whether you're in a crowded place or not, when you're with other people um, and you're sharing it together, yes, it's about the food, but really it's about the people. It's about this enjoying this meal together or preparing this meal together or getting together to have this incredible meal. That respect we've in, in a lot of these modern cultures, we've lost. And I think that contributes heavily to poor health with how we look at food and how we view food. You know, Italy... Now, Italy, Italy also is having an obesity epidemic, but they were the last holdout. You look at European countries, they were the last ones to really start to get obese. And I remember when they tried to put McDonald's in my parents' hometown and people were like, oh, disgusting, blah, whatever. Now, fast food eventually is going to win. It's so palatable, it's so fast. And their culture is changing and becoming, you know, America, we export our, our media and our culture so effectively. And now it's, it's a thing there. People buy frozen pizzas there now too, which I never thought would have ever happened <laughs> in a million years. But that, that, that reverence and respect and that, you know, sure, it can come across as pretentious. Yeah, my wine is best because it comes from this region and it was grown by this guy. And that wine, you can't call it that because it's not from the same, you know. I get all that, but there's some good, you know, there's a lot of good that comes from it. And when you cook and prepare and you take the time and you do this with your, with your wife and your family. And you know, one of the best dates I ever have with my wife is when her and I have a little bit of wine and cook together. It's like the best date ever. We're just enjoying the wine and we're cooking and I'm preparing the, you know, the vegetables and she's preparing the meat and we're putting the thing, it's, you know, it's a really good time. You know, another thing that I think, this is somewhat unique to our culture. You know, I, I've said this before, you know, on my show, I haven't said it in a long time, but um, Italian culture is interesting because especially in Sicily, I would say, because there's a machismo there, but there's aspects of it that you wouldn't think are in a kind of macho culture. For example, the men are very touchy-feely, huggy-kissy, very much. Like, and this I love. Like, I, I have friends who grew up and they have trouble showing affection to their, to their sons because their dads were very, you know, stoic, shake their hand, you know, whatever. Their dads never kissed them, never hugged them. I, my dad couldn't stop hugging and kissing us. I mean, it was, we, and we kiss when we greet. Still to this day, if my dad comes over here, goes see me, kiss him on his face. That I love. I love that. I love the hugging, the kissing, the, the physical affection that the men are not afraid to show each other. Um, you see men in, in Italy walk arm in arm sometimes, riding on scooters together. And I know American culture will be like, this looks kind of funny. Just, it's the culture. We're very physically affectionate people and the men are not ashamed or afraid of being that way with each other and with their sons. 
I think that's a that's a very, very good thing for sure. That's so true. I have so many images in my head of like being in Italy and and that's how we learn through modeling what your father modeled to you. That's now what you'll model with your son and not just with your son, but every, you know, every other relationship that you have. And I think that is one of the beautiful things about culture. Yeah, I love it. And I mean, I know I said they're machismo, but I, I wouldn't be clear. It's definitely a maternal culture. Like, in, you, you know, and maybe some of the men will get upset if I say this, that, you know, if, if I say this in my family, but it's the moms that run the show. <laughs> Dad likes to be the, ah, the, uh, but moms run the show. Let's be honest. And I know you could, you could probably agree with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What would you say, like, to bring, and I know we've talked a lot about it, but I'm curious, what advice or input would you say to someone who's maybe having difficulty connecting with their family, especially when there's this generational gap? God, you know, I think it's important to realize the value, even if you disagree, hmm. even if you're different, even if you think some things are old-fashioned, outdated, or too traditional, or maybe it's easy to see the faults. It's very easy to look at the faults. Yeah. You know, um, but look at the positives. Focus on those things. And also, I did this recently. My dad, uh, the other day, was telling my wife how he grew up. So he's telling stories to her. And um, I'll, I'll, here's a couple of them, right? Like, he was very poor, right? He grew up um, very poor, nine years old, started working. And, you know, physical labor right away. would give all the money to his mom, you know, shared a bed with his siblings. And he talks about how he saved up because mo- his, his mom would every once in a while give him like a, a, what would be worth like a nickel or whatever, right? So he saved these up. And, you know, he, he saved them up as much as he could. And then one day he bought, uh, a, 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 he was able to put a down payment on a judo gi. My dad wanted to do judo so bad. Wow. Right? Judo is a big deal in Italy. So he wanted to do judo so bad. So I think it was 15 or 14. He saved up. He went over there. And this guy ends up now is his, one of his best friends. But the guy said, yeah, I'll let you make payments. So you can make payments. You got a gi and you have your judo bag. So my dad's like, oh, thank you so much. So he had the judo bag and the gi. He was going to judo, loved it. He did very well. And he, during training, he, he broke his toe one, of these, one, one day, right? So the next morning, his toe's foot swollen can barely walk. And he goes, Ma, I can't go to work. He's like 17, 18 years old. Ma, I can't go to work. So my grandma, you know, she calls, you know, my grandfather, Toto! You know, and he, your son doesn't want to go to work. You know, my dad, my grandfather, what? Ah, you know, he's, so they get in this big, you know, argument. He grabs my dad's judo bag and rips it. So my dad gets up. No! So he goes to rip his gi. My dad picks up my grandma. My dad's telling the story, right? Picks up his dad and he's hugging him. No, no, Pa, I'm not going to put you down. No, and my dad, and then finally, my grandfather started laughing because his son was picking him up. And he said, okay, fine, I won't, but you got to go to work. My dad says, I'll go to work. So as he's telling the story, for the first time, I had empathy for my dad. Huh. I said, oh, man, he grew up kind of hard. He didn't have nothing. He, and he, and he, he worked really, and I felt really empathetic for my dad and how he grew up. You know, another time, he was late for coming home for dinner, and my grandfather my dad had this like bike he found at the junkyard and was able to fix it. My grandfather used to sell fruit out of a three wheel, those three wheel trucks. He ran over his bike. So, cause he got, he got mad at my dad, he ran over it. He says, you're never going to be late for dinner again. So I hear stories like this and I'm like, and I, so I have empathy for my dad and maybe how he was when I was a kid or how hard it was for him. He talks about when he came to this country and didn't speak English. And, you know, he would do any job they told him because mm. he just wanted to make money thing. I don't care. Whatever you want to do. 
he would, you know, go to work, he'd come home, take a nap for three hours, go back to work because they offered him night shifts as well as morning shifts or whatever. So I hear that and I get, I get empathetic, you know, the way my mom grew up, she grew up very, very, my grandfather was very strict. She wasn't allowed to talk to boys. She couldn't see, you know, she, very little friends because he was that old school, very overbearing dad. Um, and so I, I, I find empathy. And so I say, okay, well, there's some certain things that maybe I disagree with or maybe how they were that it may be going to be different, but they were good parents and they loved us. And, um, they raised us the best way that they could with the best tools that they had. I think they did a damn good job. And I think, well, what's my, my, my job as a father is I'll take the best and I'll, I'll, I'll do that. And then the stuff that I think I could do a little bit better, I'll try and improve upon that, but don't throw, throw it all away or don't look at it and, and just look at the, the negatives, look at it and say, okay, have some empathy. So, you know, as he's telling the story, I'm like, first time I'm like, oh shit, man. That's why my dad sometimes was so hard on us. Or that's why, okay, I get it. You know? I think that's not only the key to connecting with family when there's differences or difference of opinion or generational gaps, but it's really the, the secret sauce to connecting with people. Like as soon as we show a genuine interest in what is the path that person's gone through, it's like so much projected judgment just yeah. goes away. Because genuinely, like, I love what you said. And if we, if we can have a little bit more curiosity and maybe just ask, you know, what was that like for you growing up? Not just like, what jobs do you have? But like, what was it genuinely like coming from this country to a next? What was it genuinely like, you know, being raised in the way that you are? Just genuine, curious, heartfelt questions will give us the key to tap into that empathy. And if we can have empathy, then we can connect with the person. And that in and of itself, I think is tremendously healing especially if there's differences and there maybe hasn't been connection, like that is not only healing for the person asking the question, but that's absolutely healing on the other side. And I really believe that's how we start healing these generational cycles of, let's just say patterns, especially passed down from father to son, father, right. son, father to son, that maybe are cycles that need to end. Well, I, look, I, I, my grandfather had, my, my dad had, you know, uh, five siblings, so six kids. They were extremely poor. So I get why my grandfather was the way it was. And who knows how he was raised. I've heard stories too. I mean, it was hard. It was very hard. You're talking about my grandfather's generation. Um, they were so poor they didn't have food sometimes, you know? So I, I kind of get it. My grandfather on my mother's side, I mean, he tells stories. I saw a picture once in my grandmother's room of this boy with uh, having, he had two baskets of potatoes. So he had like a rope holding them and he was holding them. It was a little boy. His face was covered in, it looked like coal dust or something, like just dirt. And I said, oh, I said, Nonna, who is this? She goes, that's your Nonna. What? She goes, yeah, when he was 11, he used to, he'd get potatoes. He would get on the train or sneak on the train because he couldn't afford a ticket. And he'd go to different towns and try to sell it. And he'd be gone for two days. And then he'd come home, 11 years old. So who knows what that was? I mean, God knows what that was like and what he went through to do that just to kind of make. So, but I think the empathy has to then turn into compassion, which yeah. means you can respect yourself. So, you know, if somebody's, uh, I don't know, somebody doesn't treat you right, you can be empathetic, empathetic towards them, but also have compassion and say, well, I'm not gonna let you treat me that way. But I understand maybe some of the, some of the ways that you're hurt. Um, I also think you can love them in the truest sense, which is to be honest. 
be very honest. So, and have those conversations. So I'll have conversations like that with my parents where I tell my mom, you know, mom, I don't want, when my kids eat over here, if you could give them the meat first, you know, in our culture, you don't, you don't serve the meat first. You see the pasta Pasta. first. (laughs) So I'll say things about, serve them the meat first, ma. It's better for blood sugar. It helps them. It's got more of the nutrients that I think that they should eat. And I have this conversation with my mom and I'm very honest about it. Luckily, my mom is, you know, my parents can be open-minded to an extent. Sometimes they're like, listen, I'm the grandma, I'll do it. <laughs> but I think that that all plays a role. Um, and then you, you, you don't, you have this wonderful kind of blending, you know, this wonderful blending with all these things. I'm excited for you to be a dad. Oh, dude, thank you so much. Yeah. It's, and you're going to have baby real soon. Four, number four. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I love it. It's my pride, man. <laughs> it's, it's my pride for sure. It's the most, uh, but it's very exhausting. So I'm not going to lie to you. <laughs> it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work. It's really hard. You know what the hardest part was for me? to, And still, if I think about it, it's still hard. You, right now, you don't realize this yet. But right now, you are invincible. When you have a child, you're going to be vulnerable for the first time in your life. Explain. Because you're fearless because someone could hurt you, right? That's the worst that could happen. Someone can come hurt you. And that sucks. But when you got a kid out in the world, that's your heart outside your body. Mm. And now you can, you are vulnerable for the first time. For the first time you get afraid. You think you get afraid before, but when you have kids, now you're like, my kids are at school. What if something happens? Or my son's going to a party. He said there may be drinking, you know? And what about if somebody drives or, what if this happens or oh, somebody broke my daughter's heart, you know, and, you know, it's like, oh man, they got to deal with this vulnerability that I, I didn't realize that existed. That was a hard, that's a hard one, man. I still, that's a, still a hard one to deal with. Is there one thing that you now having number four to number one, if you can look back at how you've yeah. basically raised them, what, what's, what's the big difference? Yeah, you said it, you said it in the beginning about being present. Okay. That's the most important thing is to be present. What I would have, what I would do differently, because um, I was a younger father with my oldest, my oldest is 17, is to be present more, um, do the things I talked about earlier where household chores involve him so that he not only learns how to do certain things, but we get to spend that time together. Mm-hmm. Valuing the monotonous stuff that you really think isn't like, oh, we don't connect over these monotonous things. That's when the relationship is built is when you making lunch or you're picking them up from school or you're dropping them off at their, you know, their soccer game or whatever. And you do that so often. That's, that's the important stuff. But the, the present being present is very important in, in it's, um, I'm way better at it now. Still a challenge for me because, uh, my mind tends to want to be productive. So if I'm with my, if I'm with Aurelius, who's my youngest and he's playing by himself, and he's not even paying attention to me, right? Or at least I think he's not paying attention. He's over there playing by himself. I want to get on my phone and read or research or do some work. That's an opportunity for a window that you see where you can work on your stuff. Right. Because I'm like, oh, he's over there. What's he, and he's, not, he's not paying attention to me. No, no, no. Sit there and watch him. Hmm. Even if, for two reasons. One, they, they know when you're present. Because every once in a while they'll look up and they see dad's on his phone or not. But number two, this is something that I, that I feel very blessed to now experience. My mom told me when she, so my oldest was her first grandson. She's got a lot of grandkids now, but he was the first one. And she goes, 
I remember her saying this. She goes, you know, I loved, I loved my kids and I loved having kids, but I love, I love having grandkids even more. I said, what do you mean, Ma? And she goes, you know, when I had you guys, I was worried about cleaning the house and making sure you guys were fed and clothed and taking care of this and taking care of that. And then before I know it, you guys are grown up. And she goes, now I get to do it again with my grandkids. And I realize how fast and fleeting it is. You hear this all the time from parents, right? It's so fast, right? Now, when you're in the grind, and you'll go, you're going to go through the grind here soon. <laughs> when you're in the grind, especially the first year, first three, six months especially, it feels like time is moving at a snail pace. You're not sleeping. It's like, oh, my God, it's so hard. And you can't even have time with your spouse. And, but it goes by very fast. And, um, you know, Facebook will show you those flashback yeah. pictures. Okay. So I see pictures of my older kids now. And it may almost cry every single time. I see my son when he was eight. My daughter when she was three. I'm like, oh, my God, that, that went by so fast. So with my youngest, I'm aware of that. So I kind of have that, maybe that feeling that my mom got as a grandparent because I, I have such a gap between my, my first two and this one. Like my, my daughter's 13, so it's from 13 years, right? So now I'm very, very aware. So when he's playing, I'm much more aware of like, just watch him. Just watch him play. Like really absorb it and be in the moment because it's going to be gone so, it is gone so fast. Before you know it, you look at a picture and you're like, wow, that was four years ago? Oh my gosh, where'd the, where'd the time go? Man. Well, one of the things is, and this goes back to something you said earlier, I really feel like wisdom is shared via stories. And so to hear, and this is like, this is the you know new podcast for me. And as you're sharing, what I'm present to is just like, my heart's just like expanding to hear your experience and your wisdom and now it benefiting me. Like this is just such a cool experience. So man, Sal, like thank you so much for sharing that and everything that you've shared. Brother. Oh, I, I appreciate it, Mike. I think you're going to do, you're, you're a great guy. You're going to do a great job. You got a good family. You're going to do, you're going to do absolutely phenomenal uh, as a dad. It's the greatest thing ever, but you're, you're also about to, <laughs> <laughs> go through the it's just it's hard man <laughs> it's hard because you don't care you don't care about anything as much as you care about that kid you have that kid there's nothing that you'll care about more than that that's what makes it so hard because you care so much about this this little baby and you're gonna trip out because it's gonna keep growing as they grow <laughs> you're like can I really love and then when you have a second one or whatever you think am I gonna love this one like I love the first one I don't know it's not gonna, it's gonna be weird and then you realize it's just gross like, oh my god I love them this is everything. I love things even more. And then what's going to happen? So well, love just expands. It expands. It's a, it's a, it's a really good time. Make sure you, you know, you, you take care of your wife and through all the changes and hormones and stuff she's going to go through. You know, my dad, you know, gave me good advice. He says, you know, you're as the, as the man, you're the rock. Mm. So there's going to be some storms and maybe sometimes your wife's going to be the storm because she's feeling a particular way, exhausted. She's getting less sleep than you, whatever you stand there solid and firm and let her, let her be whatever she feels like being and you, you be consistent and solid. So that's helped me a lot. So hopefully that helps you out. Yeah. As well. Thank you so much. Yeah, no be the rock. <laughs> no problem. Pietro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, brother. Well, dude, thank you so much for taking this time. This is like, yeah, so cool to be back here and so grateful for your time and sharing everything that you did, man. Sicilians, limoncello, like <laughs> just super enjoyed this conversation. Thank, thank you, you, brother. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for listening. Be sure to follow the podcast on Apple and leave a review. It means a lot. We all have a path and I'd love to hear how this podcast has inspired you in some way to live yours.